This is uh, basic theory three, unit one, part two, IV complications. So, um, really, uh, the key to avoiding complications is just to be focused on what you're doing. And once you started the IV, just continuously check it to make sure you're not giving fluid more rapidly than you intended to. That the area isn't becoming edematous, you know, because of extravasation. Right. So. Um, as we talked about before, there are local and systemic complications, uh, and there'll be test questions on what's, which of the following are local complications, which of the following are systemic complications, right? so you should know that. So infiltration, extravasation means fluid in the interstitium, that's a local complication, so you'll see puffiness in that area, and you know, you know, push a little bit of fluid in there, the area becomes puffy, you gotta stop the IV and remove the IV catheter, discontinue the IV. And in your documentation, you document um, unsuccessful IV attempt, um, under results write um, IV interstitial edema formation, and then the next line, discontinued IV with the code appropriate to discontinue the IV. Um, uh, infection can be local or systemic, so what's, what's the term for local infection? Starts with a P. Phlebitis, thanks. Good, good. Uh, fluid overload is would be systemic. Uh, catheter air embolus would be systemic. Speed shock would be cold fluid to the core, that would be systemic. Uh, phlebitis would be local. Uh, vasospasm would be local. Um, when I s started, um, first started doing IVs, I was taught a little trick that if the, if the IV wasn't flowing properly, you could try attaching a syringe to, uh, in the injection port and try withdrawing slowly on the syringe uh, to make sure you can get fluid drawing back. I'll never do that again. <laughs> so I did it, I did it, and I guess it put the vessel into spasm or something, and this woman screamed, and she was in agony for a good five, 10 minutes before the pain started to subside. So um, I was talking to a nurse friend about it, and she said, Rob, who the hell told you to do that? You never do that, you idiot. So it's good to feel like an idiot every once in a while. That's how you learn your lessons. So I said, did she die? Mm -hmm. She didn't die. It's all for you, not this time. This time, Rob. Uh, so possible complications, infiltration, very blah, 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 we're talking about that, signs and symptoms, white, puffy, hard, cool pain, uh, blah, 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 blah. So um, if you go interstitial, just discontinue the IV and uh, pull the IV catheter out. You're gonna have to put some pressure on the site with a two by two dressing and then tape the two by dressing on so it doesn't bleed. When you get older patients who are anticoagulated, you got to keep pressure on there longer, right? If they're on rivaroxaban or, or tecagrelor or ASA, different antiplatelets, anticoagulant drugs, you're going to have to keep that pressure on for a little while longer. Maybe even elevate the arm and then tape it down securely and watch it periodically, right, to make sure they're not exsanguinating from that site, right? And people bruise like crazy when they're, I know, don't you love that word, exsanguinating? Still exciting even in year two. Right. Yeah, it's like 35 years, it still excites me. Um, extravasation, blah, blah, blah. We already talked about that, you can read that. Uh, infection, we've already talked about this too, so we really don't need to go over that. But just remember that, you know, the reason why we, we're so 
conscientious about aseptic technique and properly swabbing that area is because there are uh, microbes on your skin, you know, um, Staphylococcus aureus and uh, other staphs that are on your skin that are not in your blood vessel. But when you poke through the skin uh, and then you take a dirty needle and poke somewhere else, you're introducing those pathogens and they can be millions of them on a microscopic pin head. Now you're introducing the vein and that can cause sepsis and septic shock. So you want to use proper technique. So uh, you and I tend not to see the consequences of our bad care in the field. As two days later in hospital, they get fever, chills, shaking, malaise, tachycardia, hypotension, sepsis, septic shock, and die. <coughs> All because you were in a hurry. Yeah, that's right. You, in a hurry. Uh, okay, so bottom line is just be careful. Uh, so there's some examples of infections. This is an example of a phlebitis. These are old pictures, they're not terribly clear. Uh, this is a hematoma, right? You get those anticoagulants. Sometimes, um, you know, if I got an older patient with really big veins, I may not even put a tourniquet on. Because sometimes you put a tourniquet on, you have that kind of pressure, and you pop a needle through it, the vein just pops. And then it bleeds everywhere under the skin. They end up with a massive hematoma. Hematoma. So they got a big veins, I may not even put a tourniquet on. Um, you just got to be careful. There's some hematomas. Infiltration, I don't know what that is, but it looks like a tourniquet's been left on. What the fuck is that? What the hell that is? Uh, tissue sloughing, this is a lovely one. This is when you get epinephrine or dopamine or some you know, really toxic drug that causes vasoconstriction uh, in the interstitium and it sits there for a few hours and the skin slowly becomes necrotic, right? Uh, that's what you end up with. Nasty, nasty stuff. So remember this uh, lady I told you about who was in cardiac arrest and my, my partner started a line but it was interstitial and I gave a couple of doses of epi, uh, basically interstitially. Um, and we've, when we finally got uh, a line into her vein, we got, got some meds into her, into her venous system, we got a pulse back. Well, she ended up dying again and stayed dead. but. This is the kind of thing that likely would have happened to her if she stayed alive and uh, you know, a couple of weeks into the hospital. Fluid overload, so we gotta be really careful about that with uh, patients who have history of heart failure or young patients or history of renal failure. And uh, signs and symptoms can include headache, hypertension, coughing, dyspnea, pulmonary edema, restlessness, jugular venous distension. And uh, so we start, we slow it down to TKO. When you get to the hospital, you tell the staff, um, you know, I think we gave him too much fluid. How much did you give him? Six liters. What? Six liters is nuts. You wouldn't give six liters, but, um, you know, we gave 800 cc's to a two-year-old. So elevate the head, document, notify the receiving hospital. Also notify your base hospital. So you'd have to contact the confession line in your base hospital and tell them you gave too much fluid. Better to admit it up front. Air embolism, so uh, it's where air inadvertently ends and enters a vascular space and uh, goes through the right side of the, the heart and the pulmonary circuit and block, can block the pulmonary uh, vessel and that can put people in shock and can kill people if the air embolism is big enough. If you've got, you know, an air bubble in the IV tubing that's any longer than about maybe 10 inches, uh, that, that can be enough to kill someone. 
So you got to be really careful. Um, and in the lab, they can talk to you about uh, what do you do if you get a big bunch of air trapped in the line. There are little tricks you can do uh, to get rid of that. Uh, so 10 mils can be cause serious harm or kill the patient. And uh, so you want to administer O2, um, keep the patient sitting position. Uh, IV filters, we don't carry those. And uh, patient placed on the left side, so it traps the air on the right atrium and report to hospital staff. Uh, signs and symptoms include uh, they may have a clear chest, that, but they, or they may have a little bit of localized wheezing. Uh, they may have sudden short of breath, chest pain, and dizziness because it's an air embolus, right? It's a pulmonary embolus. And um, so they might do arterial blood gases or lung scan or pulmonary angiogram to find that, that air. Catheter tip, I don't think we need to go through all this. You can just read it at your leisure, but they might be able to pick it out on x-ray. But those catheters are so tiny, it'd be difficult to find it on an x-ray. Uh, phlebitis, we've already talked about this. I don't think we need to go through details. Uh, things that affect um, intravenous flow. So you can get a uh, catheter up against the valve. And sometimes I've heard medics say, I think the catheter tip is up against the valve, it's not running. And I'm thinking uh, in my head because that's usually where I think. Um, <laughs> isn't it okay when people say that? <laughs> I was I was thinking in my head, or I was thinking to myself, that's another good one, you know, like, what else would you think to? Um, um, when a medic tells me the catheter is up against the valve and it's not running, I'm usually thinking, no, it's interstitial. It's not up against the valve. It's probably just a bad IV. You probably have to start it again. But it can happen. Catheters can get up against the valve. You know you've got semi-lunar valves throughout your venous system. And uh, you can come up against the valve. Sometimes you can't feed it past the valve, but most of the time it's not a valve, it's you're in the interstitium, you're not in the vein. Uh, but the way to find out is sometimes you pull it back slightly, you turn the roller clamp on just very, very slightly, and sometimes that'll open up the valve and let the catheter flow forward. You get localized vasospasm, um, and you sometimes you'll see patients with, uh, don't ever get cocky if you see large juicy veins because some people you start an IV in them and that large juicy vein just constricts and die takes a nosedive onto the skin and you don't see it anymore and the juicy vein is gone that's why with like younger people you want to put a tourniquet on to keep it distended older people not so much anymore, but, uh, um, it may not flow if the IV bag is too low we don't have a whole lot of height in the back of the animals um, the last time we got new IV poles where I worked um, the IV poles went up just high enough that they got caught on the back door as you're pulling the stretcher out. And we, we must have had like 30 IV poles break uh, for medics having the IV pole up too high. And so they um, sent all the IV poles back to the manufacturer and had the IV poles cut off so they were shorter, so they wouldn't go up <laughs> past the, the lip of the door. <laughs> it's pretty funny, pretty sad. Uh, I'm one of those guys who broke an IV pole, so. Uh, thrombosis, so you can get a, a clot forming at the site, can happen as well. Uh, you're going to find that IV drug users, their, their veins are often thrombosed, they're hardened, and sticking a needle into a drug addict's vein is like trying to put a, a needle through rope. It's really tough, and sometimes it's, even though they got spectacularly enlarged veins, it may be very difficult to get a needle through, uh, through that vein. 
Uh, flexion, so you got to be careful. If you're, if you're starting an IV anticubital, it's got to be for good reasons, either because you're giving a lot of fluids or, <coughs> excuse me, if you're working in an ACP and your ACP wants to give a drug that's got to be given up here, that's fine. But if you put a catheter up there and the patient does this or does this, it's not going to flow, right? So you got to watch them and make sure they keep their arms straight. Um, sometimes we leave the tourniquet on and you got to make sure you take that off. And uh, sometimes the flow gets impaired because there's too little fluid in the bag. Um, you can wrap a BP cuff around an IV bag and add some pressure to it to get it in. I do that sometimes if I'm giving a lot of fluids and need to resuscitate them. Um, the lines tape too tight, that's not usually uh, a problem, but can be, I suppose. Uh, I once, uh, I started an IV on a diabetic once who was unconscious, and my partner was restraining the patient. This patient was combative, as low blood sugar patients often are. He was um, squeezing this guy's arm so tight that when I started an IV in, and I advanced the catheter, it was great, the catheter started to slide out because <laughs> he had so much pressure on the arm. I said, let go of the arm, let go of the arm. Don't let go of it completely. <laughs> you know. And I managed to float the catheter back in and then gave him some dextrose, woke him up. Any questions about uh, IV complications? Okay.